Hi, I'm Tan Lei. This week, I'm talking to Rachel Achille. She's actually a friend of mine. I've known her for almost 20 years. She's talking to me from Manchester, England. We're going to talk about something that she recently told me she was getting interested in. NLP, Neuro Linguistic Programming. It's described as a pseudo-scientific approach to communication, personal development, and psychotherapy created in California in the 1970s. She started telling me about this, and I said, stop. Don't tell me anything more. Let's record it for the podcast. So we got our microphones, got on the phone, and here we are. Rachel is a management consultant. Can I say that? You can, because it's true. (laughs) (laughs) Good. You're a management consultant, but we're not going to talk about consulting right now because you don't want to talk too much about work. Mm -hmm. But you have, I mean, we have lots of similar interests. We're both into the same things, which is kind of studying people. and, And I think in today's workplace, you could argue that Understanding people is enough to succeed. Do you think I'm being too simplistic? No, I fully agree with you. I would say that in order to be successful uh, in the workplace, that knowing people is probably more important than skill. Because I think you can develop your skills and you, you know, especially technical skills, but being able to navigate like work politics and um and people is what will help you thrive in your environment. So how long have you been interested in this subject? Because this is obviously exactly what I'm into and this is what we share in common. I've always been interested in greatness, like, you know, what makes us great, you know, as individuals, what makes us more confident, what makes it, and even just that interrelational kind of stuff. So I come from a big family and it was always quite funny. So I've got four sisters and two brothers and we constantly squabbled, as you can imagine, in a small house full of all those children. And we'd kind of always break off into our little segments. And sometimes it would be this one and that one, or it would be that one and this one. You know, it was kind of just dependent on who you were really gelling with at that time. And I think that's, I just wondered, you know, so I think I have a naturally curious nature, but it's like, you know, what, what does it take to get on with people and what's the formula? Because for certain, for me, certainly when you come from a big family Mm. and you live in a small space, we had to get on or we had to find a way to get on. But then when I went into the workplace, what I noticed was like some of those social skills that, you would take for granted. Some people just had that mental block and weren't able to, you know, negotiate some of those things. And then there were other things as well that I felt like culturally I was unaware of. So I was constantly learning and that's the, that's where I guess the interest must have stemmed from. Um, So yeah, just the study of people. Yeah. Awesome. And then let's talk a little bit about language. Mm -hmm. So you mentioned today, earlier for the first time that you know you connect linguistic abilities to neuroscience so I thought wow Mm. tell me more so like tell me this other uh, interest that you have like what have you been learning so yeah I mean I so the origins I feel comes from my family unit and stuff um 
you know, who you get on with. So I also should say I come from an African background and we tend to be quite blunt, you know, in terms of how we speak to people. Mm. And so I think when I went into the workplace, one of the things that I noticed was that, you know, some of that blunt behavior or blunt way of speaking obviously didn't go down well with uh, mm. British people who are very nuanced. Um, so that mm. was something that I felt like I needed to come to grips with if I wanted to be, you know, successful in the workplace. So that was the first thing. And then it actually, my interest in neuro-linguistic programming, NLP, came about when I started a new job and I, I, I was one of those people, I'm a bit of a people watcher anyway, and I noticed that there was a particular individual who seemed to get on very well with lots of different people from different walks of life. And I thought, well, how is she able to do this? And I felt there was a level of manipulation that was going on. And for me, it was very visible. It, it really was a craft. But at the time, mm. my personal view, because I didn't like it at all, I was really concerned that this person almost had a, 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 an ability to mind control. <laughs> so, and, it, and, you know, but not necessarily in a positive way. So it wasn't something that I looked into with a, oh my God, I really want to get this. It was more a, oh my God, I don't want to fall foul of this because it was so notice noticeable with this individual. It did make me think, are other people doing this? And I don't notice it because mm. I'd suddenly become uh, consciously incompetent. Mm. So I started finding out a little bit more about this person and discovered that they studied psychology. So I realized that it was obviously some kind of psychological technique and did a bit of digging and research and came across NLP and then casually dropped it into conversation with this person, whether they'd heard of NLP oh. and you know, she started waxing lyrical about how, you know, <laughs> yep, she's doing this, she's doing that. And she said that she was studying it. So that's when I started to think, right, you know, I want to look into NLP and I want to know how this is done. Not only because, but mostly it was because I was conscious that I didn't want someone to be able to manipulate me. Mm. Um, but as I came to know more about, so I went on a one, a free one day course and I realized that there were some codes of conduct and ethics around it. Um, and that it was kind of, it was how you use the brain. So you use the lang use language to kind of make suggestions. And if you know somebody and you know kind of what appeals to them, so, you know, their senses, whether they're visual, whether they're auditory, whether they're kinesthetic, there are certain keywords that you can use that will appeal to them more that will bring to life what you're saying which makes them more likely or more interested in you know whatever the your agenda is so I think there is a, a level of I don't want to keep using the word manipulation but I will say mm. you know it's about that suggestion isn't it to be able to get people to come along to your way of thinking and and seeing things mm. And as a disclaimer, we can both we can say that neither of us are experts in this area. So we're just talking at it from we're just speaking about it from a point of view of two people who are interested in how it works and just learning a little bit more. So Yeah, absolutely. So that's one of the things that even my description of NLP is probably not accurate and I'm sure well, there's you lots of people out there. You haven't given it to it. me yet. So give give me like your 
one sentence description what is nlp because oh, you've been on the one day course yes so you- i have but you know that does not make me an expert so um, neurolinguistic programming is all about using language to adjust the way that people think and make certain suggestions Mm. sounds really coarse but actually it's used mostly so it's it's kind of one of the foundations for hypnosis it's used to support people who might have some kind of phobia it's kind of used by marketing people to you know make suggestions about you know what you might want to purchase it's usually used in and and what i'd like to say is that it doesn't make you do something that you would not ordinarily do it doesn't erode your values all it does is kind of make suggestions in a way that becomes palatable to to your values if if that makes any sense yeah can you tell me some examples of what you saw this woman do so the four pillars of nlp is about rapport building and uh, this girl was very good at using NLP to build rapport with people what was interesting to me is that my personal experience with it initially wasn't positive Mm. but I do want to say that moving forward actually I really do believe in the positive power of NLP but so she would build rapport with people really quickly uh, which I was initially in awe of so no matter on one side maybe she didn't feel positive about this person, but she was able to use her uh, body language and her uh, verbal communication skills to ingratiate herself with people, which I thought was amazing. So another pillar is around being outcome focused. So it's, you know, if you're in a business meeting or in a project or a sales meeting and you, even if you're, you know, buying a car and you want this person to come round to your way of seeing things, it's, it helps you to build, not just build the rapport, which you would have done initially, but also help that person to see things from your perspective. So it was really, you know, it, that, that's one of the things that I saw as well mm. um, in terms of how she was very persuasive in meetings. And, and the last pillar is around flexibility, which is just, you know, being able to or wanting to kind of change your mind um, or change someone else's mind. Mm. Now, all right. So you said a few things like using NLP to build rapport. Why can't we say she was using language? Like, why can't she say that she, you know, she was just using her communication skills to build rapport? Like, why does NLP have to be a thing? Because I don't think it's language on its own. I think it's a series of things. Because I could happily say, oh, "I'm so happy to see you, Tan," mm. and the deadpan <laughs> tone that I yeah. use, you know, <sighs> betrays the fact that maybe I'm not, or you know. That's fine. And, and it does happen sometimes, you know, if you're if you're meeting people who you don't really like or you're fed up and you're tired in as much as you try and get in the game. And, and I'm pretty sure you've probably had that experience where, you know, you've met people and they're saying one thing, but somehow it doesn't match or you're, you're just not feeling it. Like your the energy's different. And I think that's where the uh, linguistic programming, sorry, the neuro and the programming comes into it because, you know, you have to use so much more than just your language to mm. to basically demonstrate that you're feeling whatever it is that you're suggesting you're feeling okay 
would you not agree? Yeah, but I'm still trying to understand why NLP is a separate thing on its own. What's 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 the difference between somebody who uses NLP and somebody who's just a great communicator? Because the way I see it, mm-hmm. if you have strong communication skills, it means you're able to think clearly and you're able mm-hmm. to express clearly what you're thinking. Because most of the time, if we're communicating, we're communicating to get something. I mean, it yeah. it doesn't have to be as dark as I want to hypnotize you or I want to <laughs> I want to you know influence you in any way. If I'm communicating, if I'm saying something to you, I'm trying to sell you an idea. For me, what I would say is the difference between a skilled communicator and someone who's got NLP techniques is one one person is doing it consciously. And you're appealing to all senses. I think um, if you're just a great communicator, then it can be quite, it's almost hit, it can be hit and miss. A good example would be, right, so we're either, have you heard of VACOG? Mm-mm. Okay, so some people are really visual. So, okay. you know, when I when you're painting a picture for them, so I'm a visual person, which is one of the reasons why I will say painting a picture, you know, so whereas some people are, so that's the V, then there's A, some people are auditory, so they will say, that sounds great, you know, mm. um, so that's someone who's auditory. Someone who talks with their feelings, like, you know, I feel that's kinesthetic. So some okay. people are very, and if you listen to the language that people use, they will expose what their, you know, which is their lead sense because we use pretty much all of our senses, but there will be one that is a lead sense that we use quite often. So um, then uh, the O in VACOG is, um, oh, God, that's gone out of my head. I'm just looking it up now, olfactory. Oral factory, yeah, thank you. So olfactory is like using your nose. So like some people are very sensitive to smells. So no matter how much you know, what you're saying and, you know, someone likes you, if you've got really strong smelling perfume or aftershave or Mm. BO, you know, Mm. maybe that, because that person leads with that sense, they will never like you, you know? Mm. So it's like, I like what that person's saying, but I don't trust them because they don't shower, you know, that Mm. kind of thing. Mm. Um, And then there's gustatory, which is like, you know, food, your sense of, and, you know, they say when you go for interviews that you should always go after lunch because people are full and, you know, so they're content. Whereas if you happen to go before lunch, people are a bit grumpy and a bit ratty. So we all have, we lead, we all have these different senses and we lead with different ones. So going back to your initial question, if you're just speaking off the cuff, then yeah, you might hit one of those. But if you know where that person's coming from, you can paint a picture using whatever sensor really resonates with them to really put together a package that's palatable to that individual. So have you found yourself accidentally or, you know, just using some of these tips that you've learned to influence others? Yeah. So I was really worried when I first learned about these techniques because my concern was that someone was getting into my head and doing something and I'm a very private person. So the idea that someone could do that without my consent or knowledge disturbed me. But the more I came to know about NLP, I realized that it really wasn't possible 
you know, mm, that, mm. you know, there, apart from the fact that there's code of ethics that people aren't supposed to use that you only ever, you know, especially with hypnosis, like people can, you're, you, you have to be open to that suggestion. Someone can't do that without your will. So, you know, you have to almost give them permission in order to do so. Yeah. And so I do do that. I mean, like I do kind of use some um, NLP techniques because it kind of, it just quickens the process of building rapport and things like that. And in my uh, work where I work with people and people are having to reveal a lot of vulnerabilities um, and, you know, situations that they've been in, I think it's important for them to feel like they're doing that in a safe space. So I've actually found that using NLP has helped me to be able to build rapport quicker so we can get to the heart of the matter. So I'm doing it for the individual rather than for me. Mm. So, because they just need to feel like they're in a safe space. And I think that, you know, that's a good thing. Exactly. What, what is wrong with building rapport? Nothing. I don't think there is. I mean, I think my the reason why I say like I actually really love NLP, and I'm a bit concerned that I'm skewing that that might not be coming across. It's you know just generally when we're talking about humans and psychology and human behavioral psychology in general, right? It's the user manual for the human body and mind. So anyone who has a manual for this complex machine. You can use it for good or you can use it for bad, but mm. it's still you sh- just because it's it can possibly used for evil. It doesn't mean you should pretend it doesn't exist and just you know just randomly go out and not learn about yourself. We should all learn as much about ourselves as possible. Yeah, hundred percent. You know, get a I... deep insight into our own psyche and yeah. use it for a good cause <laughs> at the end of the day that's all that's all we can say just because some people are using it for bad it doesn't mean the actual yeah the method yeah, the methodology yeah yeah no no and you're absolutely right and i think you know like i said i i tr- i know a few people like because i've entered into that realm you know a lot of people who use that as a means of communicating because it helps them to be able to function better in the world you know like i said marketers use it because then you know when i'm selling you a pen i think you know you might be interested in the depth of the color you know because you're visual some people will be interested in the feel of the grip because you're kinesthetic some people might want to use a fountain pen and hear it swash or you know whatever it is it's like understanding where you know, somebody's buttons are and pressing the right ones at the right time. So I think that, you know, it has got a lot of positives associated with it. But that, yeah, you're right. Anything can be, you know, it's like food. People can use it for good or for bad, you know. Yeah, it's just a tool. So bad people are always going to use you know, bad people are going to find a way to use feathers as a murder weapon. And good people are going to find a way to use a knife for peace. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, you can either chop your veg with it or you can stab someone with it. You're right. However, I think it's a level playing field with something you can see in front of you. It's not a level playing field when someone's doing shit to you and you don't, sorry, I didn't mean to. That's <laughs> all right. And you're unaware of it. I think that that's what it was that sinister nature that I didn't like about it. And there's another thing as well. I don't know whether you've heard of nudge theory. I was going to bring that up. Okay, cool. That was going to be the next thing I bring up next. 
because oh really okay as, because well if it's the same theory that we're going to talk about which mm-hmm. is we have to make choices anyway so mm-hmm. are we going to make them randomly mm-hmm. or, or if you're the choice designer mm-hmm. are you going to nudge somebody in the direction of a particular choice or are you mm-hmm. going to leave it completely random mm-hmm. like because i was reading there's actually a book called nudge that's the book mm-hmm. that i'm reading and in it okay. one of the most memorable things was um if you're designing uh a school cafeteria what they've discovered is that kids choose certain things which are at eye level or mm-hmm. kids choose the things that come first for example so if mm-hmm. you immediately put uh, vegetables and salad at eye level and first mm-hmm. more than more likely than not they will choose that mm-hmm. so then what is ethical should you be forcing good healthy food onto people what as a cafeteria designer as the kitchen designer is it your job to you know influence other people's kids to choose yeah. a particular food and if yeah, you say no then you mm-hmm. want to keep it random mm. here's the key point something has to be there right something has to be at eye level and first yeah yeah we have to put something there so how do we decide what goes there do we put something randomly there or do we put something good there and same with same with, with any kind of decision making where people have to make a choice mm-hmm. so are you going to nudge them towards any particular direction they're going to make a choice anyway yeah personally in some situations like you know where where there's a potential positive outcome so nudge theory is so my understanding of it it's something that's really kind of taken off by um central government trying to get people to you know make the right choices mm. and such around stop smoking you know reducing their drinking and having better diets and so on and so forth rather than trying to galvanize people to have like ma- to make massive change in their lives it's about changing one thing so doing it slowly and nudging them into pos- making positive choices and then demonstrating positive behaviors so it's kind of a m- change management principle but it's kind of like instead of massive change it's about incremental change which sounds like common sense but it's quite a new concept isn't it you know and something that is clearly working but it's very important to ensure that people are making the right choices for themselves and you know you can nudge them as much as you want but if they don't want to change then that change is not going to happen whereas uh, the thing about so just going back to NLP for a second is yeah again you're nudging them or you're using their point of reference you're looking at how they operate and then you're u- using the information that you've got to then support those nudges and i think it starts with do you believe that people make good decisions generally and the you, answer human to beings. yeah human beings oh. in general that's the question that we have to answer. And in ge- and I think it's an easy question to answer. Generally. Why, what do you think? Yeah. Generally, no. We don't make good decisions. The Why'd general masses. Are you saying that we do? Are you, are you saying that the majority of people make good decisions? I just want to understand your rationale because I tell you, I, my thinking is that people make 
this good decisions for themselves short term we're, exactly. we're all about short term gratification yes. i don't think a lot of us think about the long term so i can't really say that people don't make good decisions because i think if i you know really want to have another slice of cake i'm going to have it now because that is what i want right now so it's it seems like the right thing but then long term when i'm trying to get in that dress or you know I'm complaining about my weight or I can't breathe or I can't get out the door and I've got respiratory issues because I'm overweight. I've not made the right decision, but I'm not thinking of long-term consequences when I'm eating the cake. I'm just thinking about how good it takes. It oh. tastes, so yeah. Okay, so you answered my question. So you think I'm saying no? Yeah, because we don't look to the long-term. The majority of humans just look to the short-term. My simple question was, humans if we could generalize in general do they make good decisions so in order to answer that question i suppose we have to define good and bad exactly right so and this is the thing that i'm really interested in because i've i've found recently a lot of people it going down this dangerous path of refusing to define good and bad what's good and bad what's positive what's negative now we should be able to define these it's a really simple concept if we look at life from birth to death is it possible that there is such a thing as a good life objectively and is it possible oh that there's such wow. a thing as a bad life that is one hell of a question. Do you know, you said wow, really quickly, it and be. I can't see this. I can't it see this being a, a really quickly thing. Have you watched? Um, there's a Netflix series called The Good Place. Yeah, I have, of course. Yeah, okay. I like it. So the interesting thing is, um, so I, I guess there's no spoilers then with you because The Good Place basically has. I these haven't people. watched it to the end. Okay, but but that's okay because the premise of that um, whole show is that. When, when you die, you either go to a good place or a bad place. And that good place consists of whatever heaven needs to be to you. So mm. you'll, you'll meet your soulmate. You'll live in the house of your choice and mm. your, of, of, that you desire in X, Y, and Z. Um, so the good place is different for everybody based on whatever it is that, well, whatever their heart's desire is. But what was interesting about the good place is that in, there was a scene where there is um so when you go into this room so you go into the office of the administrator who says you know welcome to the good place blah 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 there was only one person who was on the wall who had actually completely sussed out what it was all about what life was all about what being good was all about and it was about treading lightly in the world and doing this and doing that so the whole idea behind the whole thing was actually everybody was in the bad place because nobody could do enough to warrant going into the good place because being good is so fundamentally different difficult even buddhist monks not standing on yeah a all right all right okay okay do you know what I mean it's really hard I to just it. be yeah. good all the time all right let me let me rephrase i think i, I said it wrong then in that case okay because you, you're talking about in terms of somebody else's judgment what i'm saying is when your life has ended when you look back on your life, for you to be, for a person to be satisfied with it, is there such a thing as 
yes, that was good. And like, and the person who's deciding, who's answering that question is the person whose life it is. It's a simple question because I think it's the answer is... It's not a simple question. I, all, right, let me, all right, let me give you my simple answer. Okay. I think, of course, there is. Of course, there's a, there's a way to look at it and say, yes, that was good. I did okay. We're just talking about mm-hmm. how successful were you at reaching your intentions? Oh, that's not fair judgment, though. Wait, wait, wait. Because my original question, all the only question I want answering is, do humans mm-hmm. make good or bad decisions? So then in order to do that, we have to define what is good or bad. So the way I'm defining it now is, were you effective? Did you have an effective life? So... Mm, if I, I think that's massively complex like because uh, what I'm thinking now is just because my benchmark for myself is higher than someone else's mm-hmm. I would mark myself low but that have I had an overall positive impact in the world yes but have I been effective by my standards no and that's not fair so if you if a person feels that they haven't been effective that's where I'm coming to. So going effective back to, enough, enough, like to the to meet their own their own yeah. standards. Yeah. The reason they were not effective was because they did not make the right decisions to push them the right direction for their cause that they themselves have defined. That's all I'm saying. So that's what I mean by when I say humans in in general do not make good decisions. To meet their own goals. So right now I'm not judging their goals. And just looking at it purely from a numbers point of view, the majority, I would say 90% of people, do not make the best decisions for themselves to reach their own goals. That's all. We're not judging right now. That's a separate conversation. Mm. And that's why I'm in favor of people needing to be nudged. Okay. In the case of NLP, we need to be nudged towards best practices on how to build connections with each other, uh, what to do, what not to do. Okay. So I've got a question for you. So tell what knowing what you know now about NLP, is that something that you would like to know more about and, and become more aware of and, and use the techniques? I'm generally interested in learning as much about human behavioral psychology as possible so anything to do with that i'm i'm huge on the importance of communication and the importance of language and we've kind of talked about this some time ago where because i live in a country where my first language is their second language so every person who i speak to as fluent as they are in english Mm. it's their second language so Mm. i'm always super aware and super Mm. conscious of how i'm using this language yeah here's that's an interesting thing actually here's a really good point off the back of what you've just said so where language is restricted nlp will support you to be able to develop rapport with people oh well then i I definitely want to look into it now Where, where can i sign up for that course (laughs) well i mean i've got some videos and stuff that i can send to you that's no problem i think it'll be good for you because you know especially when you can't communicate with those people like when i go abroad i find that i'm using a lot of my nlp techniques really oh i'm so interested now 
you can't if you can't communicate with people you know there are other things that you can do and a lot of them are things that we do not naturally anyway so that making eye contact leaning forward when you're talking to them you know making physical contact with them so whether it's just but there are certain places like you're supposed to touch between the wrist and the forearm so that way it's not enough to make someone feel uncomfortable so mm. you wouldn't touch them somewhere that might feel private or personal mm but it's enough for them to feel like this person is not repulsed by me and, and is willing to connect with me and, you know, and things like that. Yeah, but I'm always conscious. Whenever there's a mm, challenge, mm -hmm. I always wonder, is it because this person is challenging, has a challenging personality, or is it because they just don't have a full command of English? Like, that's something that I can never get past like are we having difficulties because no. we don't have a common language or are we having difficulties because we really are you know just not gelling yeah just not gelling just not well well that's the interesting thing i think nlp would help you to be able to eliminate <clears throat> some of those doubts as to whether or not it's one or the other not 100% like it, you know it is it's a pseudoscience to some extent but you know if you've tried to build rapport with that person using both kind of like language and kind of physical body language uh, <laughs> techniques and it still doesn't work mm. then you can ultimately deduce dare I say that that person perhaps doesn't want to build rapport with you mm. so I mean like we haven't talked about it in any detail so for instance one of the things that you know, you can notice if you're really into the, the language side of NLP, because like some people are really into the science of it. Some people are into the language of it. So some people really like the brainy kind of like body language, you know, let me read someone. Some people are just all about just the language. So if I was to say hi and you said hello. Right. Some, exactly. You know, Great example. Something as simple as that. Now, mm -hmm. You can't, we can't make the same deductions if it's somebody who's using it as a second language. That's what I'm saying. As English speakers, there might be a reason I'll use hi instead of hello, or there might be a reason I'll say hey instead of all right. Mm -hmm. But for, a, for a, somebody speaking it as a second language, they don't have those reasons, Rachel. That's what I'm trying to say. So it throws my language radar all off. Yeah, I totally get that though, Tan. But this is why I'm saying that NLP can help you because you're right. You know, these things will impact your ability to discern whether this person is just being off with you or whether this person truly does, um, doesn't understand and is only using the language that's available to them. Yeah. Because, okay, so if you say hi and they say hello, that's okay. But if you make eye contact with them and they break eye contact with you, it then you can start to, that's two things that have happened that have made yep. you think, well, this person's definitely not engaging. Yep. You try and shake their hand. They don't want to touch you or you look at their feet. And even though they're talking to you, you know, politely listening to you talk, if their feet are pointing away from you, that means they want to get away from you. There are, there are other little tells mm. that will then support you to be able to deduce. And because where language is a barrier, then you've got those body language elements that Excellent. can support your thinking. Yeah. Excellent. I think this is going to be a great help for people living in foreign countries. As the world becomes smaller and more globalized, 
so many people living and working in different countries using different languages. So growing up in just one small town, I mean, Manchester was small when we were growing up and I'm, you know, from a specific part of Manchester. So growing up in, in a small place, you don't think of anything outside of English language. And mm-hmm. then once we get out into the big world, words, specific words become less and less, you know, important really. Mm. In communication so this is great to hear like I'm, I'm glad that there's ways to do this without having to rely solely on language because I meet yeah. so many people I meet so many not just Brits but so many people who don't speak the local language and they mm-hmm. and they just have no confidence like you know I'm never gonna I'm never gonna achieve what I want to achieve because I don't speak the language so we're I here to say that there is a way. There is a way. I mean, the, the first thing is not to be so self-conscious as to not want to take a chance. And I know that that can be quite difficult, you know, when you already feel like you're the odd one out. But my experience has been that people are actually endeared towards you for making an effort. So, you know, that level of engagement, particularly like when I go on holiday and, you know, someone's trying to flog me something and I don't want it, but I don't just walk off. I'll go, oh, no, you know, and it's kind of those exaggerated (laughs) movements and you're still smiling and you're going, no, if I wear this, my husband will throw me out or, you know, that kind of thing. Just, you know, making light of it. But the fact that they can see that it's not them that you don't want to engage with and Mm. so on and so forth, it kind of like softens them. Their, um, their feeling towards you. So it's about, it, it, I don't know whether, it, I'm not suggesting that everyone plays the court jester, but just being open. And how much of this is really learned and how much of it is you just naturally being a smart, intelligent and personable person? Do you know what I mean? And it's like you say, most of it is common sense. Yeah. I mean, you, you didn't say that, but like, take a friggin' shower. Like, you know, <laughs> uh, if you're talking to a female, don't touch her below the waist. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> do those you're right, things but, need to but be... this is the, the funny thing is, you're saying most of it is common sense, but is it though? Because to some people, so have you heard of Jahari's window? No, I haven't. Okay, so that's again another really good. Um, I don't know what you call it. It's like a methodology that I'm interested in. Jahari's window is like a square box that's kind of broken. It's like a, a window pane and it essentially is used as a means of helping people to understand their relationships with themselves and others. Mm. And the whole idea is that there are things that there's an arena that's known to you And it's known to others. So for instance, everyone knows you love basketball. If you find someone else Mm. who likes basketball, you know, all the better. You will wax lyrical happily Mm. with everyone who, so if anyone wanted to get you a present, you know, that's that's known to yourself and it's known to others. Then um, there are some things that other people might see about you that you don't know. So that might be, you know, so that's your blind spot. So for instance, if you would, when you do presentations, you might uh, a lot 
or you might look a particular way. Mm. So it might not be known to you. So for, I'll give you an example. So when I started uh, presenting for the first time, I had a habit of crossing my legs. Um, so I'd be stood up, but I would cross my legs oh. um, because that was a, my way of making myself feel secure. Mm. So when people saw me, so some of the people who were very good at reading body language, so some of my teachers were able to tell me, you cross your legs, which is a sign of demonstrating your insecurity. Whereas if you plant your legs and you, you know, legs akimbo kind of thing, <laughs> then you're showing that, you know, I'm tough, I'm secure i'm you know i'm solid You're open i'm open thank you so that was something that was a blind spot to me mm. but other people could see so other parts of jahari's window is you know something that you know about yourself that other people don't know about you so for instance i could be a million pound in debt and about to go bankrupt. I might live under a tree, but I go into work, you know, looking smart every day and I take a shower in the, in the work toilets and nobody knows kind of thing. So that's something that's known to me, but not known to other people. And then there's the stuff that you don't know about yourself and people don't know about you either. So that's kind of the personal development side of things where it might be, you haven't quite honed that skill yet. You haven't quite developed that skill yet or whatever. So you still need to bring that out. And I've waffled on for so long. I can't remember why I started <laughs> talking about Jahari's window. I have no idea. I think we should end it here. I think we've done it. We've done it. Thank you for an awesome chat. It's always fun talking with you. Yeah, me too. I hope you come back again soon. Always a pleasure. All I'd right. love to. See you next time. All right. Take care. That was my friend Rachel in Manchester. Thank you, Rachel. I have a feeling she will be back in a future episode on this podcast. That's it from me this week. Thank you for listening and hope you can join me next time.